Eat Drink DFW from the Dallas Morning News is made possible by Central Market. Hey, North Texas food fans, welcome to Eat Drink DFW from the Dallas Morning News. Each week, we dish on the local restaurant scene, food and drink trends, cooking and shopping tips, and unpack everything that makes North Texas one of the most vibrant, diverse, and ambitious food scenes in the country. I'm your host, food editor Aaron Bookie, and today we'll be going down restaurant memory lane again. Last week, we had food reporters Sarah Blaskovich and Claire Baller on to talk about DFW's oldest living restaurants, and that was super cool. And now we're going to be talking about some of Dallas's most memorable restaurants that we miss very, very much. It's going to be interesting, and it all gets started right after this. Central Market is really into food, like fish flown in so fresh it still has jet lag into food. Our sourdough starter has been around since grunge was a thing into food. We're talking more prime cuts than a greatest hits album into food. Central Market is really into food. If you are too, then we're the HQ for you. Whether you're a make-every-recipe-in-the-cookbook foodie or a my-favorite-recipe-is-reheat type who just digs the delectable, no place makes every day more delicious like Central Market. Really into food. Shop now at centralmarket.com. Welcome back, everyone. We're so excited to have you here for our show. We started adding more detailed show notes of everything we talk about, and you can find those recaps online with a bunch of links at dallasnews.com food. We also want to hear more from you, so send us your questions and voice memos via our form at dallasnews.com food or email us at eatdrink at dallasnews.com. So last week, we talked about DFW's most historical restaurants. And this week, we have food reporter Sarah Blaskovich with us to talk about restaurants we miss the most. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Erin. This is one of my most favorite topics. So thank you for having me on for this. Oh, sure. Same. Me too. I love hearing from people about long-closed restaurants that are meaningful to them. It's just so interesting to go down memory lane there. And so one of the great things about Dallas Dining is that there are so many new restaurants opening all the time, but sadly, we also have many that close. Sometimes they're our favorite ones, the best ones, those locally owned neighborhood joints where we had anniversary dinners and other special moments. So what are your thoughts, Sarah, on why a beloved restaurant eventually closes. I think the reasons that a restaurant might close are as varied as the reasons that restaurant might have opened. Mm -hmm. And almost always there isn't one specific reason. So a restaurant could fail because rent was too high, which means a lot of things. It means they picked the wrong neighborhood or that their food wasn't priced high enough for them to afford that neighborhood or that their food wasn't priced correctly for them to make the profits they thought they would, or right. perhaps they're underpaying or overpaying their workers or their managers. Uh, there, there are so many things that can go wrong in a restaurant that each carries their own individual and often sad story of why they failed. One caveat to this is that some restaurants have said in the past couple of years, we closed because of the pandemic. And that is one singular reason, sort of. But when you really get to asking questions, which is my job to do so, <laughs> we closed because of the pandemic then becomes we didn't have enough workers or we didn't pay our workers correctly. Possibly we didn't give our workers insurance. Also, we didn't have the customers. Also, food prices were inflated. Also, also, also. So even something as simple as we closed because of the pandemic is a lot of different reasons packed into one word. Um, it, it is tricky. Restaurants that live past three years are really special. That's kind of the time when a restaurant can fail. So as we looked at these restaurants that have been around 10, 20, 30, 
80, 90, 100 years, it's really incredible. And when restaurants close, especially after that long amount of time, that's when I want to memorialize those places and talk about why they really mattered. Yeah. And so I like the way you approached your recent piece on Dallas restaurants we miss most. You reached out to Dallas Morning News readers, our listeners, chefs, food writers, and influential Dallas folks and more to get their stories. And who all shared with us? This was such a cool group of people. And uh, let me back up and say the reason why I didn't write this list myself, for instance, Mm -hmm. is it was so much smarter being written by all these other people. 24 people who told 24 stories about places they loved. Some of these restaurants closed before I was born. Some of these restaurants were popular when I was a child Mm -hmm. uh, growing up in Dallas-Fort Worth. And so I'm really glad that I didn't just ask a couple food writers or write myself, hey, these are the restaurants that closed that really matter. And I think it was so much more inclusive and interesting when we had smart people speak those truths for us. Some of my favorites, Kit Sowers, who's the president of Clyde Warren Park. Uh, She misses Highland Park Cafeteria, as many people do. Mm -hmm. Something I loved that she said is that uh, it was the one place where mac and cheese counted as a vegetable. Excellent. (laughs) And I remember being a kid at any cafeteria-style sitting, uh, we would occasionally go to Luby's and thinking that exact same thing. So Kit (laughs) kind of took us back to our childhood. Uh, Shannon Wynn, he is a restaurateur who owns more than 30 restaurants across the country and lives in the Highland Park University Park area and grew up here. He misses Peggy Sue Barbecue and before that, Peggy's Beef Bar. Uh This was in Snyder Plaza, and anybody who's been there has noticed that that building has been bulldozed within the past six months, and an office will be built in its place. But for many decades, it served barbecue, and he loved the fried pies specifically and the barbecued chicken. And many people, especially folks who lived in the Park Cities, also loved that place. Um, Amanda Albee, she is a special contributor to the Dallas Morning News and a friend of mine. Our girls actually are one day apart in age, (laughs) which is really cool. Um, She misses the grape on Greenville Avenue. She and I both live in that part of Dallas. And even if you don't live in that part of Dallas, the grape was around for just under 50 years and was a really special spot. The one thing that I thought was special about the grape is that it was an anniversary dinner type of spot, but it was also lauded for its burger. So a lot of people Mm -hmm. came on Sundays and Mondays for that burger. And of course, the the latest proprietors, that was Brian Lusher and Courtney Lusher, Mm -hmm. they were just always in that dining room and people really came to love them and associate them with the grape, even though it was started by somebody else. So uh, I still miss the grape. I still wish it was in my neighborhood. Yeah. Um, Let me mention two others that I think are really cool. Ray Washburn, who co-owns Highland Park Village and is a developer all across North Texas and beyond. He told a story about being a little kid and he would put on a suit coat and go to the luau room in Love Field. And that was back when anybody could walk into the airport. You didn't have to be taking a flight. And in the luau room, you would sit all dressed up and you would watch planes take off and land at Lovefield Airport. And as he explained to me, that was back when air travel was really exciting and yeah. everybody got all dressed up even to get on an airplane, much less just go watch somebody else's airplane take off. And I just love the visual of little kid Ray Washburn sitting there in his coat. He remembers specifically the orange Braniff 747 planes mm-hmm. that would fly into Dallas. And, you know, I just have to wonder, like, did people clap? Did they, did the room <laughs> go silent, you know, as they watch these land. It reminds us how much has changed in, you know, in only my lifetime, for instance, and we maybe we don't regard air travel as much as we used to. It used to be a yeah. dining event. I'm trying to picture all of their outfits that they were wearing at that time. I know. <laughs> yes. 
Yeah. And I think that's the kind of thing you'd talk about all week or maybe all month. You know, I'm going to the luau room with my family. If your family even had the money to go to that place. Yeah. It just sounds really special. Um, and then finally, I'll end on a funny one. Philip Kingston's a former city council member. And uh, he he really misses a place called Bo Nash. And there is a current day Bo Nash bar at the Crescent. But the Bo Nash he's referring to was different. Mm-hmm. It was a hangout for smart young professionals. And here's the quote. This comes directly from Philip Kingston. Quote, imagine if Albernays turned into a single room occupancy version of Bowen House five nights a week, but with a lot of cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly don't remember the menu, but I remember meeting all these tipsy young lawyers and real estate people who are now in charge of largely everything. And I remember how it made me feel about Dallas when I was just starting out. Sophisticated, a little body, and absolutely brimming with possibility. Unquote. That's a great quote. That's just funny. Yes, it's, that is. It's, I didn't know the Bo Nash like he did, but um, I uh, I love the shots fired there that, that <laughs> right. people who are in charge now, you know, right. maybe... Maybe made some questionable decisions yeah, yeah, on the weekends. And uh, I also just, uh, I think with all of these, something I love and I hope readers love too, is that restaurants and bars are memory making places. Mm -hmm. And this story managed to capture a lot of those feelings and hopefully just made people smile. In addition to that kind of common thread through all of these, what others did you see in, in some of these choices of theirs? Well, I saw a lot of people who loved homestyle food. And when you think back to what kind of food lasted decades, Southern comfort food is one of them. You know, your chicken fried steak or your cafeteria style place with the really good biscuits. Mm -hmm. And the mayor of Dallas, Eric Johnson, uh, says he misses Wyatt's Cafeteria. And a lot of people have chimed in to say they also miss Wyatt's Cafeteria. Another person, a Dallas Morning News reader, loved Youngblood's Chicken, which was for a time in the Old Mill Inn in the middle of Fair Park. That was a fried chicken joint. And then it turned into, you know, other things after that. (laughs) Another one other thread that I, I noticed is that people missed their anniversary spots. They missed Cayudes, which was a French restaurant, a very fine French restaurant. They missed the Riviera, um, mm. another just really high-end place. They missed the grape because they'd go every time for a cream of mushroom soup. So, you know, when you when you think about where your memories, you know, are sort of locked up, often it's for a special occasion. And so it was cool to hear people tell those stories about those places. That's true. So now that we've talked about restaurants that others miss, let's talk about some of our personal favorites. I love this idea, Erin, because you and I did not contribute our own opinions no, to this story. Uh, no. I wrote it, you edited it, but nobody knows what we miss. So yeah. this is a great question. Well, cool. Well, I, um, you know, back in my 20s, didn't have a lot of money, didn't go to the fancy restaurants. Like, unfortunately, I never went to York Street. I would have loved to have gone. But to me, Wild About Harry's was a really great date spot. We were not big mm-hmm. spenders. Um, so going to a cute little neighborhood hot dog shop with custard, like that was just kind of our spot that we went to. And it was on, That's you know, sweet. a cute street, you know, you could walk around. There wasn't much, as much construction back then on Knox as there is now. So mm. it was That's a little, right. it was a little more, you know, low key. Um, so I remember a lot about Harry's and I really was sad when that closed. But also when I think about a lot of my early days in Dallas, um, it's not really restaurants that I remember most, but bars, of course. So yeah, bars matter. Yeah, bars are important. And, you know, in addition to food at restaurants, sort of the biggest thing we remember about places we love is because they were gathering spots, you know, where, where we met people. And so um, I really miss the elbow room. That was a big loss. 
because <laughs> as a young Dallas Morning News journalist, like that was that was where we went. And there was always plenty of space for everyone and games. And you kind of one of those places where you knew, like, if I went to the elbow room tonight, I would see a bunch of people that I knew. Like, that's just where everybody automatically I is. love that. And, you know, journalists need to drink. So, it yes, makes sense. yes, exactly. Um, <laughs> so that was great. And so some other bars that I miss are the Ginger Man, because they had one of those in Austin, too, when I was in college. So um, I love the one here. And Trinity Hall, of course, which I know was near and dear to a lot of people here in Dallas. And so what about you, Sarah? Yeah, Trinity Hall. I'm so glad you mentioned it. That's one I would definitely mention. And my memories of Trinity Hall go back before I could drink. It opened before I was 21. And my best friend is 100% Irish. And she was an Irish dancer. And so I kind of grew up in her house a lot. She, I was just, I was really close to her family and we grew up in Plano, but we would drive down to the one at Trinity Hall and eat Irish food. And her parents might drink a pint of Guinness, but it was more like Irish people hanging out with Irish people. And a lot yeah. of the Irish dancers used to hang out there. And I wasn't part of that community at all. And I just remember thinking how neat it was to be a meetup space. It was a bar, sure, but it was it was a restaurant too. And then later it served vegan food, which yeah, became its cool. own cool little meetup niche. Yeah. Trinity Hall was special um, to me and to my best friend, Molly, and to all of her family. I miss Idol Rich, that bar. Right. I, I know I've told the story on this podcast already. <laughs> I met my husband early on there because I was stood up for a date on Valentine's Day. And I I just thought it was the perfect bar at the time in my yeah. life when I was in my late 20s on McKinney Avenue. A couple others. I miss Offsite Kitchen, and that is on our list because Evan Grant, who writes about the Texas Rangers for the Dallas Morning News, he misses Offsite Kitchen, as do I. I do think it was the best burger in Dallas, and I haven't found its replacement yet. I miss Bolsa in Oak Cliff because oh, I got engaged yeah. there. It was early on the farm to table time frame in Dallas and was a special place where people started to care about where the lettuce and the mushrooms and the pork was sourced from. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, we're used to that now, but we weren't then. And of course, that's where my husband, he walked into the restaurant with the ring box in his boot. He wears cowboy boots every day. (laughs) And he got down on one knee. And when he was down on his knee, he reached into his boot grabbed the ring box and proposed to me from down there. Um, And I'll never forget, of course, the place and what he asked, but also the boot, which is just a funny, (laughs) a funny little thing. And if anybody knows Chase, it's very him. Right. (laughs) Finally, the very last restaurant that I would like to mention is Stampede 66. And that was Stephen Pyle's Texas style restaurant, quote unquote, Texas. And there were things I loved about the menu. There were things that were fine on the menu. But the reason why I miss Stampede 66 is because it was a great place to take people who weren't from Texas and Mm -hmm. say, this is one of our best chefs serving some dishes that Texans are proud of in a way that is more upscale than I could do it at my house and that most you know, Southern restaurants are doing. It was just a place to sort of impress people and bring them into this Texas style food. And I I loved it for the time. And when Stephen Powell's closed it, as he has closed all of his restaurants, he just kind of said, you know, it's time. Um, And Mm -hmm. sometimes that means the lease is up or I'm tired of it, or I want to design a new restaurant with a totally new menu. He was quite unattached to the ending of a restaurant, maybe the most unattached of anybody I've ever talked to who has closed so many restaurants over the years. And I really think there's something to that because he knew when a restaurant had had its time in Dallas and with somebody with decades of experience like he has, it's inspiring, I think, to say this was a great thing and people used it and Mm -hmm. then I'm going to do something else instead. 
So Stamping 66 was one of many in his binder. That was a great restaurant that didn't last forever. And he's okay with that. Yeah. It's kind of weird that Dallas now has no Stephen Piles restaurant on the scene. It's incredibly weird. It's it just feels like there's kind of a hole. Like, well, where's Stephen Piles' new restaurant? Oh, there's there isn't one right now. So it's a it's a loss. I don't know that he will. Um, I I wouldn't say he's retired because he's consulting, but he's also, if anybody follows him on social media, Mm -hmm. he's also like eating awesome food in other countries, like, like a smart retired chef would. I mean, I think, I think he's living his life and I'm, uh, I'm happy for him and Dallas is better because of him. Yeah, exactly. I agree. Well, thank you so much, Sarah. Next up, we will hear from some listeners, food writers, chefs, and more in their own words about all the restaurants that they miss. We'll be right back. Central Market is really into food. Like, when we say cheese, it's in 12 languages into food. Butchers, bakers, and sushi roll makers into food. We're talking so obsessive about quality you can shop blindfolded into food. Central Market is really into food. If you are too, then let us turn your shopping list into a treasure map. Get inspired, get adventurous, or just get a chef-made dinner when you've got more taste buds than time. No place makes every meal more amazing like Central Market. Really into food. Shop now at centralmarket.com. Welcome back, everyone. You've heard Sarah and I talk about Dallas restaurants we miss, and now you get to hear from some listeners, writers, and influential foodies in their own words about what these restaurants meant to them. First, listener Paige Flink recalls Calwodes on McKinney Avenue. She shared her thoughts with us this week. Well, I have wonderful memories of Calwodes in Dallas because I was taken there the first time by my boss and mentor, Sigmund Mandel, when I worked at Sanger Harris. I was a young 21-year-old. Moved here fresh from a small town in Tennessee and had never been to such a lovely and elegant and beautiful restaurant as Calio's. The the food was some things I'd never even tasted before, but also it was so delicious and elegant. And there were white tablecloths and beautiful roses and beautiful people and stunning and shining silverware and crystal. It was just a glorious place to be for me as a as a young woman, but also you could just see the most fabulously dressed Dallasites. And the food was just spectacular. The simplicity was also part of it, and I really, you know, don't, I'm not familiar with any that have captured that magic and and simplicity and just the fineness of the French food. Next, food writer and Dallas Morning News special contributor Amanda Albee reminisces about the grape. I really miss going to the grape a lot because it was not intimidating. Like, it was formal, but it didn't make you feel like you were out of place if you were not from the big city, you know, like I had just moved to Dallas when I started going there around 2005. And up until that time, I've kind of always lived in small towns, suburban towns. And, and from the outside, yeah, Dallas is like, has always kind of been this big fancy city. And I have always liked to go to fancy places, but you know, couldn't always afford it or whatever, feel like I was a part of it. But the grape just was a place where it was like just casual and fancy at the same time and um you know like the burger and the happy hour and the soup like were all things that I could go in and eat on a teacher's budget um but then there was like tablecloths and linen handcloths in the bathroom and really nice wines and yeah I just miss a place like that where um it was nice, but not exorbitant, and not every person in the room was 
you know, a young hot blonde and wearing Gucci or whatever. And now a lauded Dallas chef Dean Fearing also has some thoughts to share about roses and her amazing smash burgers. Why I loved roses was the fact that it was so unique in a time of Dallas when everything was new. Roses was old and has been there for a long time. In fact, the front door you couldn't even use. It was always locked. So you'd have to walk around through this alley, and then there was this red door, and above the red door was a sign that said roses. And that's the only identification that you knew you were heading into the right place. And then you walked in, and it was about the oldest, what would be probably a old diner, but it was an old diner, and it was pretty makeshift all the way around with with Rose working the cash register, and she'd be yelling, you know, who's next, who's next, and then you'd walk up, and she goes, and there was a little sign in back of her, and it was pretty much Hamburger, cheeseburger, that was it. Two different prices. And you'd, she'd say, so what do you want? And the first time I ever went, I said, I'll have a hamburger. And as I, and I paid. And as I walked away, she yelled back, one burger, everything. And I saw the lady open up a refrigerator and take out a ball of hamburger meat and put it on the griddle and smashed it really flat with a heavy spatula. And I'd never seen a hamburger, smashed hamburger, or any hamburger ever made that way. And I was really curious at that point. And then you would have to go over and pick out your chips. There was a tree of all different kinds of potato chips. No french fries at all, just potato chips. And then you would go over to the beverage container, and it was that old sliding top refrigerated beverage container, and you would slide the top back, and you would pick out of various types of soda pop. And my first selection there was a orange, orange Fanta. And then you would go find a place to sit. And they were old chairs with old tables, and then there was what was the original counter for the diner. And at the end of the diner was this old man, and he would he was there every single time, and I couldn't figure out who the gentleman was and why he was there all the time as I became more frequent with the place. But that was Rose's husband. So he always sat at the end of the counter and was usually reading the newspaper. And so you would, I sat down on one of the old swivel seats and waited for my hamburger, opened up my chips, had a couple of chips, and drank my orange Fanta. And then they would bring the burger out to you on wax paper. And then the miracle happened of just the fact that you would smell the grill and that grill smell of that little bit of charred hamburger around the side from the being smashed to everything on it, lettuce, tomato, onion, pickle, mayonnaise, 
all F the works. I think it was just though mayonnaise and it was mustard. And you wanted ketchup, you'd have to add it to yourself. But and then biting into that perfect burger was true heaven to me. So that's what I remember and love about roses. And then, of course, through my frequent time there, they found out that I was the chef at the mansion. And then I became kind of a little celebrity person walking in there. and They just couldn't believe a, a mansion chef would ever frequent their little burger place. But little did they know they had the best burgers in town at the time. And last but not least, Rangers insider Evan Grant talks about being a fan of Nick Batavinas and Offsite Kitchen. So I remember when Offsite Kitchen first opened at the corner of Irving Boulevard and, and, and Wycliffe, and there were, I think, 12 seats in the place. Nick Batavinas was at his typical, like, wacky self with selling frozen Snickers bars in there and all kinds of just, like, cute little throwbacks of a divey burger slash sandwich spot. There were no frills about it. It was just go in, grab a sandwich, inexpensive. It was open all day. You could grab breakfast sometimes there if you wanted for like a breakfast taco. Um, And it was just a great little neighborhood joint where you weren't going to have a big sit-down dinner. You weren't planning anything. It was like, all right, I got to grab a burger, got to grab a a turkey sandwich, got to grab something general, and and it was just there. and, and it had all the typical Nick twists. A, a, a turkey sandwich wasn't just a turkey sandwich. It, it came with some gold sauce, which was like a Carolina barbecue sauce, um, and a little bit of honey mustard with it. Or the Merce-style burger had that jalapeno bacon relish that was just phenomenal. And so then it moved over by Trinity Groves, and weirdly enough, we didn't move over here to – be close to it so at some level probably i did but it was it was the neighborhood spot to go grab a quick lunch uh, i remember when we first moved in and the kids were with us and, and we went over there and there were you had boozy slush drinks coming out of the out of the slurpee machines and there was a shuffleboard table against the corner and you could just grab a, a burger have a quick bite with people linger as long as you want uh, you didn't have to get dressed up. You didn't have to make reservations. It was just the kind of place you, you love to have in a neighborhood. And the good thing for me, as I always say, and I think everybody knows, I'm a big, big fan of Nick Batavinas and what he's brought to the dining scene in, in DFW. The good thing is we've still got plenty of Nick locations to get burgers that he does a great job at. I think he's transferred the, the, most of the, the OG burgers from Offsite Kitchen over to Desert Racer, uh, his place over on Greenville. But that just had its own special place. It was his smallest location, and it just felt really neighborhoody and, and comfortable. So I miss it. I drive past that location every day. I look at it a little bit wistfully, but I'm still at least comfortable knowing that if I need to go grab a burger in that regard, there's still some place here in Dallas where I can get it every day. Thank you so much, Paige, Amanda, Dean, and Evan for sharing your stories with us about the restaurants you miss. It was wonderful to hear your voices and listen to those amazing stories. And that's all the time we have for Eat Drink DFW this week. Thank you all for joining, and I hope we've made you hungry for more. Also, we want to hear from you. We want to know what y'all are eating, drinking, trying, and loving, and we want you to tell us about it. 
We want your questions too, as always. So fill out our form at dallasnews.com slash food or email us at eatdrink at dallasnews.com. We'd love to share your thoughts on a future episode. The show is produced by Natalie Kalmogun. To stay up to date on every episode of the show and hear more from our newsroom, just follow the Dallas Morning News wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, please rate the show and give us a good review. Find links to everything we do at dallasnews.com slash listen. You'll also find a special membership offer there just for listeners. For the news, I'm Aaron Bookie. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.